Chapter 15 of Triumphant Democracy by Andrew Carnegie. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, in October 2020. Triumphant Democracy by Andrew Carnegie Chapter 15 Literature Quotation by Shakespeare He hath never fed of the dainties that are bred in a book. He hath not eat paper, as it were. He hath not drunk ink. His intellect is not replenished. He is only an animal, only sensible in his duller parts. End quote. This was not written of the omnivorous American, for he has eaten paper, as it were, and drunk ink ever since he was born. These are his daily food. As far back as the year 1836, which brings us to the beginning of the fifty years under review, a writer in the Philadelphia Public Ledger from March 25th, describing the extent of newspaper reading in America, says, quote, in the cities of New York and Brooklyn, containing together a population of 300,000, the daily circulation of the penny papers is not less than 70,000. These papers are to be found in every street, lane, and alley, in every hotel, tavern, counting-house, shop, and store. Almost every porter and drayman, while not engaged in his occupation, may be seen with a penny paper in his hand." End quote. This was the year when, in England, the newspaper tax was reduced from four pence, equivalent to eight cents, to a penny, two cents per copy, when the usual price of London papers was five pence, or ten cents, or six pence, twelve cents. The great mass of the people, even if they could read, could only obtain a news sheet by sharing among many the cost of the luxury. The majority of the intelligent had to be content with hearing articles read from papers to the company in a hall or coffee room. Several factors have conspired to make the American people great newspaper readers. The Puritan settlers were active political partisans. Everything which concerned government was of deepest interest to them, and it was among such as they that the first manuscript newsletters had their largest circulation. The descendants of these hardy pilgrims inherited that jealous regard for the rights of the citizen which in the sixteenth century manifested itself in political nonconformity and in the eighteenth century was the propelling force of the American Revolution. Every man, woman, and child of New England at that trying time habitually discussed politics and sought news with an eagerness that we never feel except under the stimulus of a great political crisis. In 1800, the Young Republic had 200 newspapers, of which several were dailies. In 1810 through 11, disputes with England revived men's interest in politics, an interest which became doubly keen when the war was declared, and every able-bodied man took from its nail his trusty flintlock in preparation for battle. Conceived in political tribulation, born amid the throes of a severe political struggle, and nursed in the midst of political excitements, the young American nation developed an aptitude for government which Republican institutions have ever since tended to strengthen. Where every man is a voter, every man is a politician, and a nation of politicians is the journalist's favorite field. 
a further cause is the education which during the century has been so widely diffused teach a man how to read and you at once invest him with the appetite for reading and what can be of greater interest than the world's history read in contemporary lights again newspaper taxes have never existed in the united states as a consequence journalism attained maturity in america earlier than in europe these combined factors have made the american nation greater newspaper readers than any other people the republic has aptly been called the editor's paradise for certainly except in the wild west where revolvers are jocularly said to be as necessary to editors as inkstands journalists do have pretty much their own way in eighteen eighty the number of periodicals of all classes published in the united states was eleven thousand three hundred and fourteen of these more than four-fifths are devoted to news politics and family reading the remainder are technical publications relating to trade industry the professions science etc more than three-fourths of the whole are weekly publications ten per cent are monthlies daily papers form rather less than ten per cent ten thousand five hundred and fifteen periodicals are published in the english language and six hundred and one in german the remaining percentage is contributed in the following languages in this order french scandinavian spanish dutch italian welsh bohemian and polish there is moreover a portuguese paper in new york a chinese paper in san francisco and a cherokee one in tahlequah indian territory in none of these languages does the proportion of periodicals reach one per cent of the whole the combined issue of the periodical press exceeds thirty-one millions the copies printed aggregate in a year one billion three hundred and forty-four million giving an average of two copies a week to every family the growth of american newspaper literature is no less astonishing than the growth of so many other things american the first census of the press was taken in eighteen fifty though mulhall gives an estimate for eighteen forty the number of newspapers in eighteen fifty was about eight hundred and thirty ten years later it had increased to two thousand five hundred and twenty six in eighteen sixty it reached four thousand and fifty one in eighteen seventy five thousand eight hundred and seventy one while ten years later it had nearly doubled reaching the number of eleven thousand three hundred and fourteen or more than four times as many as in eighteen fifty in circulation the increase has been even greater in eighteen fifty the average circulation per issue was five million one hundred and forty two thousand one hundred and seventy seven it leaped to thirteen million six hundred and sixty three thousand four hundred and nine in eighteen sixty to twenty million eight hundred and twenty four thousand four hundred and seventy five in eighteen seventy and in eighteen eighty it reached the enormous number of thirty one million seven hundred and seventy nine thousand six hundred and eighty six the morning newspapers of the principal cities consist of eight pages like those of london and are sold at the same price two cents one penny 
the republican sheets are characterized by greater vivacity than the monarchical more spicy news and above all a much more attractive mode of displaying it a leading english editor once remarked to me quote, we have no editors who rank with the american but many writers who excel yours End quote. this was a just criticism we see however in nothing more strongly than the newspaper press of the two countries the operation of that law of assimilation which tends to make their products alike the american press is rapidly acquiring greater dignity and the british press more sparkle they will soon be as like as two peas and the change toward each other will improve both there are many things other than the press in which a mixture of the old and the new would be equally advantageous the falsest impressions of a country are created in the minds of foreigners by its newspaper press because people forget that the press deals in the uncommon the abnormal a column is given to some startling monstrosity a three-headed calf for instance but it doesn't follow that American calves, as a rule, possess more than the usual number of headpieces seen in Europe. An unruly refugee with twenty aliases kills a Texan rowdy in a barroom farther away from New York than Cairo is from London, and the press on both sides of the water gives the fullest details. It isn't a corollary at all that human life is not respected in the Republic a defaulter absconds and the world is filled with the news not a word is said about the thousands of men in positions of trust who guard their charge to the last penny my experience with newspapers upon both sides of the atlantic has shown me how incorrect ideas are instilled of the one land in the other by the press a new york sheet referring to the meeting of a few hair-brained cranks in hyde park a motley crowd whose appearance made me feel as falstaff did about his soldiers quote, i'll not march with them through coventry that's flat end quote. lays this episode before its readers headed in large type a grand republican rally and many readers think the prince of wales has not the ghost of a chance i wish it were so indeed and i honor these cranks very much all real reformers are cranks in their day fim hampton cromwell were and john bright himself was a very pronounced one till he brought the nation up to his level now he is a regulation statesman in good form but truth compels me to say that the republican rally in hyde park was not much of a rally it was like a great ball which the princess wished to give in ottawa upon court lines of etiquette and could not in canada society was all in vulgar trade there was not enough left to make a ball at all in like manner a socialist's procession marches through the streets of chicago probably not an american in the array a parcel of foreign cranks whose communistic ideas are a natural growth of the unjust laws of their native land which deny these men the privilege of equal citizenship and hold them down as inferiors from their birth and forthwith european papers alarm the timid and well-to-do masses of europe by picturing this threatened assault upon property as the result of republicanism the truth being that in no other country are the rights of property held so sacredly as in america 
legislation to fix values of anything here as values of land are fixed in ireland for instance would be decried from one end of the land to the other the only true and abiding conservatism is that engendered by republican institutions conservatism of what is just what is good for these no party seeks to destroy in like manner the books of travel written by visitors to any land must in their very nature be misleading what strikes the stranger is not the thousand and one matters which are alike to those at home nor the thousand occurrences which are common to him at home or abroad it is the one exceptional matter thing or event which he notes down at once and says i can work that up it is so strange very true only it may be just as exceptional just as strange to the native the false impression is conveyed to the public for whom he writes by implying that it is the common and usual custom or occurrence few travellers know how to arrive at the real everyday life of people and yet from this alone is a just estimate of that people to be obtained as the two divisions get to know each other better they will understand that in the main human life is very much the same on both sides of the atlantic it is after we cross the mississippi and come to the great west that new region which the hardy pioneer is rapidly bringing into civilization that life takes on different features as might be expected the difference in the press there gives us the best idea of the chasm which still divides the settled state from the unsettled territory when a party of prospectors have found a mineral vein in the west about the first thing they do after deciding to build a city is to start a newspaper with characteristic western eccentricity this is named the lead gulch screamer or the peekaboo avalanche then a press and type are brought in the most literate of the gang invests in a table an armchair and an inkstand and being already furnished with a revolver he begins to run the paper as the town grows competing editors come in and soon the struggle for existence sets in with an acerbity of feeling not excelled in those poetic dragons of the prime who tore each other in their slime specimens of slime are carefully collected by european bookmakers and quoted as representative of american journalism after the rough pioneering has been done the gentler evidences of white civilization soon manifest themselves fine streets lined with handsome buildings and towering churches spring up on the site of the wilderness and literature takes upon itself a milder form present editors in western towns which have originated and grown in this way are men of culture often graduates from eastern universities and these are not the men who pen the articles so largely quoted from by bookmakers dickens's amusing representation of the editorial combat in pickwick will keep in memory the fact that a few years ago british editors used inks of concentrated gall and venom in periodical literature the child land has for a few years excelled its mother in harper's magazine and the century the art of editing has joined the arts of printing and engraving and has surpassed anything before known in the history of periodical literature 
These magazines, which for years have been educating the American people in principles of true art and instilling a love of pure literature, have done more than all the rest of the world's periodical publications to raise the artistic standard of printing. Not in America alone, but in England has their influence been potent for good, and undisguised imitations of these magazines now appear even in Germany, which not many years ago seemed to have a monopoly of good engravers. It is in vain that any English or German magazine can hope to rival its Republican compeer, not because the necessary talent and skill do not exist, or at least that it could not be created, but simply because it will not pay to employ it. The American publisher prints a quarter of a million of copies. This number has even been exceeded. The expense for art and matter distributed among this huge edition is a trifle per copy. What is the poor publisher to do who has not 40,000 subscribers? And this not one shilling magazine has in Britain or Germany. He yields the race perforce to the Republican. Harper's and the Century actually sell more copies in Britain than any British monthly publication of equal price. Truly, their venture in England is a strange and startling success. Let us note here that as population grows faster in the new than in the old land, more and more sure is it that the American publisher can afford to expend greater sums upon his magazine, which means that the native publications must encounter fiercer warfare than ever. Periodicals of high order for the girls and boys of a nation are of vital consequence. The world has not anything comparable to the St. Nicholas or Harper's young people. Every friend to whom I have sent them in Britain has substantially said, We have nothing like these. Our children watch for their arrival as for a great treat. They are devoured. It was all very well for the democracy to supply the monarchies with pork and flour, cheese and provisions, the necessaries of life, a coarse material triumph this, but what are we to say to this exportation of food for the mind? If democracy is successfully to invade the higher province and minister to the things of the spirit as well as to those of the body before it is more than a century old, what is the monarchy to set forth as that in which it excels? It is, at all events, to take the crumbs which fall from the Republican magazine table. That much is settled, and it is with special pride we note the triumph of democracy in these branches of art. The thanks of the Republic are due to Harper's and the Century for a successful, and I hope a permanent and profitable, invasion of Great Britain. May their circulation never be less on either side of the Atlantic. American journalists have become noted all over the world, as indeed have Americans generally, for enterprise and energy. American foreign correspondents have revolutionized their profession. Until Stanley was sent into Equatorial Africa by the New York Herald to find Livingston, such extraordinary missions were unknown. But English journals quickly followed, and O'Donovan, brave, bright, and young when he fell in the Sudan, was sent by the Daily News to Merv. The Jeannette expedition was a newspaper enterprise. The Bengal famine, the condition of Ireland, the Tunisian difficulty, the Burma dispute, the exploration of Korea, 
all these and many other matters have come within the scope of the modern foreign correspondent it is interesting in this connection to see how the anglo-saxon race leads the world in journalism of twenty-three thousand newspapers in the world about half are american other papers published in english raise the total to more than thirteen thousand leaving to the rest of the world germany france italy spain india etc only ten thousand to divide amongst themselves the english language gauged by those who speak it is leaving the rest of the world even more hopelessly in the rear at the beginning of the century our tongue was spoken by twenty million people and occupied only fifth place coming behind even spain and russia it now occupies first place being spoken by more than a hundred million whilst french and spanish have not yet reached the fifties since eighteen o one the english language has advanced from twelve and nine-tenths to twenty-seven and one-tenth aliquot parts of all european languages of three hundred and sixty-eight million people now speaking the european languages one hundred million speak english of course there is little question here as to the coming universal language the world is to speak english think english and read english the only question is whether it will be aristocratic or democratic english queen's english or people's english and there is not much question about that when we recollect the great amount of hard manual work which has been spent by the american people on the subjugation of their vast continent it is a matter of surprise that literature and the gentle arts generally should also have attained such development the hewing of wood the clearing of forests the breaking of prairie lands railroad building and canal digging are not conducive to development of the sort of brain which runs into books and during the early years of the country when brawn rather than brain was in demand bookmaking received scant attention the change consequent upon the cessation of the struggle with nature in new england was well described by cullen bryant at a publisher's celebration in eighteen fifty five he said quote, after his cotton mather's time in the hundred and fifty years which followed the procession of american authors was a straggling one at present they are a crowd which fairly choke the way illustrious historians able and acute theologians authors of books of travels instructive or amusing clever novelists brilliant essayists learned and patient lexographers every bush i had almost said every buttercup of the field has its poet poets start up like the soldiers of roderick dhu from behind every rock and out of every bank of fern an idea of this increasing literary activity may be obtained from the fact that in the publication of original american books the year eighteen fifty three shows an advance of eight hundred per cent in less than twenty years in the twelve years ending eighteen forty two there were published one thousand one hundred and fifteen works six hundred and twenty three of them being original in the single year of eighteen fifty three seven hundred and thirty three new books were published four hundred and twenty of which were original american works from these facts a well-known publisher of that period concluded that literature and the book trade had increased ten times as fast as the population in eighteen eighty four more than four thousand books were published in the republic 
to enumerate the tons of paper used for printing may be considered a curious way of estimating the literature of a nation still it has been done and the result is interesting about one hundred and seven thousand tons of paper are annually used in the united states against ninety five thousand tons in the united kingdom and seventy thousand tons in france canada subject and dependent contrasts unfavorably with the republic in every way but in none more than this she uses but four thousand tons of paper a year only about two-fifths of the republic's ratio to population the amount annually spent on books and newspapers by the republic is ninety million dollars eighteen million pounds against the eighty million dollars sixteen million pounds spent by britain it is not fifty years since a british critic asked sneeringly who reads an american book Today, the same critic if he be living and up with the times will have to reverse his question and ask who does not read an american book a glance at the british trade catalogues will show how many american publications are reprinted in great britain for the British publisher does not hesitate, in the absence of an international copyright law, to appropriate any successful American work, although he is apt to call his Yankee brother hard names for pursuing a similar policy in relation to British publications. The works of popular American historians, American poets, and American novelists are all reprinted in England and are as well known there as at home indeed it has been said that longfellow is more widely read in britain than the lordly poet laureate himself the very successful enterprise of mr douglas the edinburgh publisher is a case in point the series of american stories which he republishes having had a wonderfully large sale two american lexographers have contributed to the world two of the best english dictionaries and the standard greek lexicon published by the university of oxford is printed from american plates edited and made in new york some idea of the american demand for books may be formed from a few illustrations the ninth edition of the encyclopedia britannica now in course of publication has more than fifty thousand subscribers in the united states probably more than five times as many as it has in its own home besides this an unauthorized edition a reprint has had also a large circulation let us pause here a moment to try to take in the full significance of such a fact as this the britannica is the one distinctively national work one would think it was published surely for britain but no it is not for the parent land but for the republic that this treasury of all knowledge is prepared its purchasers are not in old but in new england five to one thus at every point we stumble as it were upon startling proofs that the dear old home is becoming the satellite of the republican giant whose mass is too great to be resisted its power of attraction begins to draw the smaller body out of its monarchical orbit into the great sweep of the republican idea the equality of the citizen the same firm which imports the encyclopedia britannica in the united states charles schneiber's sons of new york are the publishers of the great statistical atlas of the united states 
nearly eighty tons one hundred and fifty seven thousand five hundred pounds of paper were used in the printing of the first edition of this work which is one of the wonderful books of the century wonderful even in america the american cyclopedia published by d appleton and company new york has also had an enormous circulation more than a hundred and twenty thousand sets of sixteen volumes each having been sold by subscription at an average price of a hundred dollars the set making in the aggregate more than twelve million dollars two million four hundred thousand pounds the same firm have printed more than fifty million of webster's spelling book and still print and sell a million copies every year picturesque america a costly work in two large volumes has also had a phenomenal sale more than a hundred thousand copies have been disposed of mr blaine's book twenty years in congress has more than two hundred thousand subscribers and general grant's personal memoirs more than three hundred thousand the sums realized by both these writers will exceed two hundred and fifty thousand dollars fifty thousand pounds the latter will probably double that amount and i have seen an estimate which placed mrs grant's prospective profits at seven hundred thousand dollars one hundred and forty thousand pounds milton was glad to get five pounds for paradise lost even macaulay's celebrated cheque for ten thousand pounds received for his history dwindles into insignificance compared with the princely compensation awarded to its favorites by the triumphant democracy it is much the same with all standard british publications all have a larger circulation in the republic than in the monarchy spencer tennyson smiles morley the arnolds matthew and edwin all have larger constituencies in new than in old england indeed the first named herbert spencer was discovered and appreciated by american readers before he was recognized at home and here let me in passing drop a tear over the one sad blot which disgraces the republic her laws do not give protection to the foreign author for this i have neither palliation nor excuse it is since slavery is gone the one disgraceful thing of which as a nation she is guilty it brings the blush of shame to my cheek as i think of it there are now signs that the public conscience is awakening to the duty of removing the stain a fair copyright act would probably have been passed by congress at its last session but for the jealousies of publishers and the somewhat impracticable attitude if they will permit one of their humble members to say so of our copyright league authors are not as a class distinguished i think for practical good sense in legislative matters something must be conceded to publishers on this side and something must be conceded by publishers on the other it is asking too much or at least more than is likely to be granted for publishers abroad who own a copyright on a popular author's work which they have enjoyed for many years and paid for only on the basis of the home market to insist upon reaping a new harvest on such works in america if the money would go to the author or his representatives the idea would not be so unpalatable in like manner publishers here insist that an author taking out an american copyright should publish his work in america as well as in his own land it is a publisher's quarrel 
had the authors on both sides the power to adjust it the republic would soon be relieved from the just reproach of stealing the work of men's brains the most valuable work of all ere a new edition of triumphant democracy be called for i hope to be able to record that a fair copyright act has been passed libraries have multiplied very rapidly fifty years ago there were few large collections of books in america except in the universities and collegiate institutions of other libraries prior to eighteen twenty only ten are enumerated and these were mostly of inferior grade since that period libraries have sprung into being in nearly every township or village they dot the country almost as thickly as the public schools while state libraries have been formed in every territorial division of the Union. The spirit of local patriotism, which characterizes equally the Native American and the New Settler, and which leads each to think that the particular spot of God's earth on which he lives is the best, is a spirit which prompts numerous great public works. The dwellers in the new settlement are animated by an amazing energy and spirit of self-sacrifice in matters concerning their city public works of all kinds are undertaken with feverish eagerness men subscribe money for the adornment and improvement of their town as readily as they would for their particular home one is constantly surprised to find all the evidences of advanced civilization in cities of which the foundation was laid but as yesterday libraries schools clubhouses churches theatres courthouses bridges of the most elegant designs are found in towns which had no existence a few years ago take st paul as an example this young and enterprising city owns no less than three public libraries the state library with ten thousand volumes the historical society's library and museum with twenty two thousand volumes and the free circulating library with twelve thousand volumes to which additions are being constantly made it is estimated that there are twenty three thousand school libraries in america containing forty five million books twelve million more than all the public libraries of europe combined other educational establishments increase this number by two and a half million volumes and thirty-eight state libraries contribute over a million more the Congressional Library, the Astor, the Boston City, the Philadelphia, the various mercantile libraries, the Watkinson Reference at Hartford, and many others will raise the grand total to much more than 50 million volumes, a book almost for every man, woman, and child in the United States. More than 300 libraries contain 10,000 volumes each, 12 contain more than 100,000 volumes each, and two contain four hundred thousand volumes each even this statement but feebly shadows forth the truth as to the books and periodicals of the country as compared with those of other lands for the american is not only a reader but he is above all other men a buyer of books circulating libraries are not so generally used as in europe it is when you enter the home of the American farmer or artisan that you are struck with the number of books and magazines you see, the two or three shelves and often far greater number filled with them, all of which are his own, except perhaps the few stray borrowed volumes 
which most collections contain and which are conscientiously counted as belonging to another to be returned some day but somehow that some day never arrives there must be a special punishment in store surely for such as do not return these treasures to their rightful owners this hint is not without a purpose the universal propensity of the american young and old for reading and writing has sometimes seemed to me to lend countenance to dogberry's dictum that while a good name was the gift of god reading and writing came by nature these do seem to be part of the nature of the american triumphant democracy is triumphant in nothing more than in this that her members are readers and buyers of books and reading matter beyond the members of any government of a class but in this particular each system is only seen to be true to its nature the monarchist boasts more bayonets the republican more books we know which weapon is more effective in these days the paper bullet of the brain is the moral dynamite of triumphant democracy the only dynamite which the peaceful and law-abiding republican ever has occasion or can be induced to use End of chapter 15. Literature. Read for you by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana.